we going to get this thing started? Are we going to do this? Yeah. Yeah. We're going to do it. You know why we're going to do it? Because this, 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 this won't hurt a bit. It's 1903, and there's a party taking place in a garden in Paris. The hosts are Marie and Pierre Curie, and they are celebrating that Marie has become the first woman to be awarded a doctorate from the University of Paris. Pierre takes out a vial from his pocket to show the guests it's green and it's glowing, and most people haven't seen anything like it before. This stuff is radium. Marie and Pierre's discovery of radium is one of the reasons she has just become the first woman to win a Nobel Prize. I'm among those who think that science has great beauty. A scientist in his laboratory is not only a technician, he's also a child placed before natural phenomenon, which impressed him like a fairy tale. Marie is not only the first woman to receive a Nobel Prize, but also becomes the first to receive two Nobel Prizes in two different scientific fields, physics and chemistry. She and her husband, Pierre, are research partners, and together they discovered two new elements and coined the term radioactivity. So for this episode of This One Hurt A Bit, we're going to go on a journey with uh, Marie Curie and talk about radiation. It's an invisible force that's constantly around us. We are made of it. We emit it. We exist in it. It can cause disease. It can help us to diagnose disease. And it can be used to treat disease. You can't see it. You can't feel it. But it is constantly there. Part of living on Earth is that we are all exposed to low levels of radiation. And that's not just because of nuclear energy or uranium mining. It comes from the sun, the earth, food, water, and the very air that you breathe. We call that background radiation. It's really just part of the deal of living on Earth, but it's a low dose and spread over a long time and not very harmful. It's normal. And just how much background radiation you get is a really complicated question, but that's what we're going to try and answer throughout this episode. What is radiation? How much background radiation do you get? Uh, What happens when you get too much radiation? And how do we use radiation in medicine? So let's first take a trip Back to science class. So in order to understand radiation, I sat down with my friend, Seamus O'Hara, who is a science teacher. An atom is made up of three subatomic particles, a proton, neutron, and electrons. And every single thing on Earth is a different combination of those three things. The protons, they're in the center and they have a positive charge. Essentially, the protons give the atom its identity. If you're number six on the periodic table, I'm carbon. You have six protons. If you are number seven on the periodic table, I'm nitrogen. You have seven protons. The protons dictate what the atom is. And then there are neutrons. Essentially, neutrons are the glue of the atom. They keep the nucleus together. They keep it stable. If you change the number of neutrons, you have an isotope. And there's electrons, which are negatively charged. Really what they look like is a cloud. There's a very tiny nucleus. The nucleus that we see in pictures is like crazy larger than the proportionality would be in real life. In real life, if the atom itself, if the electron cloud, the little particle that has almost no mass and is flying around the outside, if that were about the size of a football stadium, the nucleus would be somewhere between the size of a grape or maybe an apple. And when the electrons are not equal to the number of protons, that's when you have an ion. Electrons are the things that do all of the interacting. 
all the handshaking. You know, when you go up to somebody, your hands are your electrons. They say hello, they say goodbye, they shake hands. So your electron number, all those little guys flying around the outside, they will match your number of protons. If they don't, you've got an ion. So how do atoms give off radiation? The two big players in radiation are alpha particles and beta particles. That's Josh Kurz, producer at Shabam and sound designer at MRAP. An alpha particle is a helium atom that has been stripped of its two electrons. So, a big positively charged clump of two protons and two neutrons. Beta particles are just freewheeling electrons, negatively charged. Those are the two big players. The secondary players like high energy neutrons and positrons, which are like bizarro electrons, you're less likely to have to worry about. So an alpha particle is two protons and two neutrons. It doesn't have any electrons and it wants to steal them. Alpha particles can't go very far. They get stopped even by things like a piece of paper or your skin. But they can do some damage to you if you ingest them. And a beta particle is a rogue electron. So we've talked about this radiation as sort of particles, as bits of atoms or types of atoms that go through and want to ionize your atoms. But they don't have to be like that. You can have ionizing radiation, which is just like light. So light's on this giant spectrum, and part of that spectrum is stuff you can't see, and part of the stuff you can't see is really energetic, and it's a wave, it's not a particle. Actually, light is both a wave and a particle, but hey! And that also can do damage to your atoms and do stuff like ionize them. If you were to look at the electromagnetic spectrum, the longest wavelength or lowest energy radiation are radio waves down here. And a little bit further up are microwaves, still pretty long, still pretty low energy. And as the energy increases, the wavelengths get shorter and shorter, and we get infrared light, and then visible light, starting with red and ending with blue and purple. After purple comes ultraviolet, or UV radiation, which we can't see, and which scientists call super purple. As we get into the high energy super purple, we start getting into ionizing radiation land. And you keep getting further and further and more energy and more energy, you get x-rays, which are bad for you. And finally, gamma rays, which are really bad. <laughs> high energy, bad. So microwaves are usually harmless. X-rays and gamma rays can be really dangerous. And how does Seamus explain x-rays and gamma rays to his students? It's light. It's not a particle. It's not alpha, beta, it's not an electron, it's not neutrons, it's not protons. It's just light. It just happens to be light we can't see and is super energetic. If you've got that amount of energy that hits one of your cells, then it adds that amount of energy to your cell, which could excite your electrons. If you excite your electrons because you're the gamma rays put that much more energy into those atoms, it just generally will mess with the functionality of what the electrons are doing and how they're supposed to interact with one another and how they're holding hands, how they're shaking hands. Hello? This concept of an invisible force being emitted from something and causing damage that you can't even see, well, this wasn't always known. And the scientists who first started to study it, they didn't initially understand its effects. In the 1890s in Paris, Henri Becquerel was studying the fluorescence of uranium. He discovers an energy being emitted by uranium ore. Marie Curie is one of Becquerel's students. Now she's trying to find something to study for her PhD. She decides to study an ore called pitchblende. Pitchblende is a dense rock that basically is uranium ore, but it also has small amounts of some other components that will soon be discovered. Marie hypothesizes that there is something 
other than uranium in the rock emitting energy, something else that's highly radioactive. Marie discovers two new elements, polonium, named after her home country of Poland, and radium, named after the Latin word for rays. You see, the harmful effects of radiation were not yet understood, so Marie and Pierre handled the material all the time. They carried it around in their pockets. Over a hundred years later, their lab still emits radiation. You can go to their doorknob or their journals or their cookbooks and put a Geiger counter on there, and it's still active. There's still radiation there a hundred years later. And not only was there no fear of radioactivity, but it was actually thought to have health benefits. Uranium was put into things like face cream and toothpaste, and there was uranium spas where you could bathe in that soft, warm glow of radioactivity. Radium was used in the paint for clocks, so they'd glow in the dark. And the women that painted those clocks with the radium had the brushes dipped into the radium, and then they would put it in their mouth and twiddle it around to get to a really fine point. Over the years, these radium girls, as they were called, well, many of them died of cancer of the face and jaw. These women were ingesting radium. Marie Curie was handling radioactive materials and carrying it around in her pockets every day for decades. But it's different if I were to just hold a rock of uranium ore. That would be pretty harmless. Actually, it would be equivalent to eating 10 bananas. Actually, just eating 10 bananas could be quite dangerous. So <laughs> I'm not sure what you're trying to say there. Certain bodies become luminous when heated. The capacity of becoming luminous afresh through heat is restored to them by the action of a spark and also by the action of radium. Radiation can basically come in two forms, either subatomic particles, as we've discussed, or in the form of high-energy light, which is X-rays and gamma rays. A lot of those X-rays and gamma rays come from outer space. But don't worry, you're shielded from most of these by our atmosphere, which is why airline pilots and flight attendants, as they get higher up where the atmosphere is a lot less dense, well, they get exposed more than us down on the ground. And radiation is really bad for your body because it's ionizing. Okay, so why why would a gamma ray be ionizing? It, it's maybe so exciting, so exciting to some of these electrons to get that much energy put into their system that they go zibbity pop and they just like, they are like, I'm out, whoa! It's kind of like escape velocity, like how a rocket actually leaves the Earth. It's like, that was so much energy, it's not going to fall back down. It's going to go keep going up. So you lose an electron, which makes an ion, and this changes the way that atom interacts with other atoms. It changes the charge, so it changes the interaction. And this can be really bad if it affects your DNA, the building blocks of your entire body. Just one drop of your blood contains billions of strands of DNA, the building blocks of life. Yeah, so let's talk about DNA, huge molecule. If you essentially coax some electrons away from some of the millions, trillions of atoms that are contained in your DNA, then all of a sudden, your DNA, at whatever point those electrons left, that section of DNA, it's not holding hands the way it usually held hands. So if you start coaxing them away, well, you just totally degraded the functionality of that section, wherever it was taken from. It could be something not very important, but if you do it enough, then it's going to create huge problems for the code that makes up what you are. Any errors in your DNA replication, that can lead to mutations. And exposure to radiation increases the frequency of these mutations. So as more of these start to accumulate, your cells, well, they just stop following the plan. 
Cells are only supposed to replicate when they're needed, but these mutated cells, they just start replicating unchecked, and that can form a tumor, which we call cancer. They also get better at traveling to other sites of the body and start making colonies of those mutated cells, and that's called metastasis. But there's other ways to get mutations. Not all cancer is caused by radiation. Well, it's not pleasant to think about, but let's say a nuclear attack happens, whether it's an atomic bomb or a dirty bomb, which is just sort of a, a normal bomb that's packed with radioactive material. Either way, a massive exposure to hazardous radiation occurs. A lot of things scare the crap out of me. A breach delivery in the ER, a crashing kid. But here's one for you, Sean. A dirty bomb has just gone off at the central LA train station. You've got 50 patients or more on their way to see you. This is a discussion between Stuart Swadron, you know him as Captain Cortex, and Dr. Sean Nort about how an ER would handle the patients from a nuclear attack. All right, so triage has to happen at the scene. Hazmat, you're in the hospital. Contact your radiation safety officer. Every hospital has one and start preparing your staff. The question that you're going to have is, is the person just irradiated or are they contaminated with radioactive material? Well, how do I know the difference? So you're going to really have to be speaking to the command center who's actually at the scene. If they say they were just irradiated, they are perfectly safe to come to the ED because they're no longer hot. They just got the dose of radiation. So that would be like the person that was like standing a few blocks away from the train station. They wouldn't be directly in it, maybe where the bomb went off, that type of thing. Exactly. And what about the people that were in direct contact with the possible particles that were in the train station. So those are the really risky people to transport. And there's nothing much to do with the ED because once they're irradiated, they're irradiated. You can't reverse that. So you keep them on scene and you remove all their clothing. And actually removing all their clothing can take away about 90% of that radioactive material and then soap and water to get all that material off of them. And then you can transport them? And then they get transported. Okay. So on the scene, they're going to divide the people into the directly contaminated and they're going to be decontaminated before transport and the people that were far enough away or outside the building they can come straight on in exactly what happens to the victims exposed to these huge amounts of ionizing radiation acute radiation syndrome happens when there's a lot of radiation exposure this is generally from gamma radiation the deep penetrator alpha and beta radiation they just don't pack the punch. That's emergency medicine physician Rob Orman. Radiation syndrome happens in four phases. Phase one. First is the prodromal phase. When this happens depends on the amount of exposure. The higher the dose, the sooner it starts, and it can vary from minutes to days. This is going to be GI symptoms, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, maybe some stuff like headache or eh, just kind of feeling bad. Phase two. Is the latent phase. And this is just what the name says. Latent, hidden, concealed asymptomatic, nothing to see here, keep moving along. The latent phase can last from a few hours with very high doses to several weeks with smaller doses. So prodrome and latent phases, there's not much happening there in the grand scheme of things because it's all being saved for the manifest illness phase. Phase three. In the manifest illness phase, the blood and the gastrointestinal symptoms get a kick in the teeth. Blood takes the first hit, it's the most sensitive. Blood cells and bone marrow essentially get obliterated. 
When your bone marrow gets damaged, you can't make normal blood cells. You get severely anemic. You can't form blood clots and you can't fight infections. Next is the GI syndrome, the gastrointestinal syndrome. It takes higher doses to affect GI than it does blood. It starts with nausea and vomiting. Then patients get better. And then here it comes. The intestines get severely impaired and there is massive fluid loss. With all that damage to the lining of the GI tract, you get so much vomiting and diarrhea that you can get dehydrated and that alone could kill you. Faithful. There's not much that's going to happen here. It's called recovery or death. And that's exactly what happens. Patients are either going to recover or they're going to die. In these nuclear explosions, all types of radiation are admitted, including x-rays and gamma rays, in a really large burst. And that can kill you. But these same x-rays in a controlled amount are also a tool we use daily in the ER to save lives. Have you broken your wrist? Do you have pneumonia? Do you have a chunk of glass stuck in your leg? Well, I can answer these questions with an x-ray. The use of x-rays in medicine has been around since 1897. And guess who was important in developing mobile x-rays? That's right, Marie Curie again. By World War I, x-rays were already being used in medicine. Marie Curie, she took this technology mobile to the battlefield. She was the director of the Red Cross Radiological Service, and she brought her 17-year-old daughter, Irene, along, and together they would x-ray soldiers for broken bones, bullets, and shrapnel. Irene, well, she would go on to study chemistry herself and win a Nobel Prize as well. Are you kidding me? Okay, their family's freaking crazy. She won a Nobel Prize, and then the grandkids, well, they didn't win Nobel Prizes because they're underachievers, frankly, but they're both PhDs in uh, chemistry or physics, and they all teach at the, or teach or taught at the University of Paris. Maybe being exposed to radiation makes your kids really smart. (laughs) Maybe we're completely wrong about all this. We missed the target. So back in the early days, when we first developed x-rays and the ability to capture those images, basically what happened was that you'd have a giant x-ray source, and then you'd put the person between that x-ray source and the plate, and it exposed people to a lot of radiation. I'm talking a lot. We've gotten much better over the years. The machines have been able to hone that beam. The radiation source is much less energetic than it used to be. We use things like CAT scans, which gives us the ability to get much more information out of those x-rays when we do use them. But even still, even today, you only want to get an x-ray or a CT scan when you really need it because that is just additional radiation to what you're getting every day. How much more? Well, let's have Josh and Captain Cortex talk about just how much more. Okay, before we get into the x-ray doses, we should mention that according to the NRC, which is the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission, the baseline dose of radiation that we get just from being on Earth for one year is about 3.5 millisieverts, just from natural background radiation. The millisievert, well, that's a unit that measures tissue damage from radiation. On top of that, the more time you spend in planes and CT machines or poking around at nuclear power plants, etc., the more millisieverts you're adding to your yearly dose. And according to the International Commission on 
Radiological Protection, or ICARP, the recommended safe limit for members of the public is one millisievert per year above background radiation. So, basically, everybody gets an extra millisievert after you've been dosed by your natural background radiation. And it's important to note here that that's a very conservative number because the maximum permissible dose for occupational exposure is 20 millisieverts per year. Now let's get back to the other doses. Chest x-rays 0.1 millisieverts. Okay, so that's a good standard reference point. Let's go with 0.1 millisieverts as a chest x-ray, and let's multiply from there. Extremity films are fractions of a chest x-ray. Extremities are your arms, your hands, your feet. And that's about 0.04. Okay, so that's a little less than half. A C-spine series. That's your neck. So that's 0.2, so not too much more. So twice. L-spine, that's your lower back, was 1.5 millisieverts. So like 15 times. All right, so now let's move on to the CAT scan. Otherwise known as a bunch of little x-rays. So the least radiation of all the CAT scans is a head CT. How many millisieverts or chest x-ray equivalents is that? Two millisieverts or about 20 chest x-rays. Okay, and moving up from there? CTC spine, you're looking at probably around four millisieverts or 40 chest x-rays. CT chest, about seven millisieverts or 70 chest x-rays. And then the CT abdomen pelvis is the biggest, as you would expect, and that's 10 millisieverts or about 100 chest x-rays. Directly to your gonads, I might add. Summary, chest x-rays, not bad. Pelvic CT, ouchie. So doctors, we're pretty conscious about the fact that although most of the radiation that we give to our patients is really low level and doesn't matter too much, we have to be careful. There are certain things that we do, certain x-rays we do to certain parts of the body that we only want to do if we absolutely have to. So that's why there's a lot of research that goes into deciding which patients need imaging and what type. We don't want to miss anything, but we don't want to radiate people just for fun. Right. And it's really, really hard to sort of figure out what's your risk of getting cancer in the long run because of that CAT scan. We can't do randomized controlled trials, the highest quality study where we irradiate some people and don't irradiate other people and then see what happens 20 years later. That's a really hard study to do. So instead, we sort of have to look at those associations like we talked about in the caffeine episode. We're looking at estimations based off of these associations. And there's so many factors and variables that it's just a very difficult question to answer. So another thing that's really fascinating about ionizing radiation is that on the one hand, it can cause cancer, but on the other hand, ionizing radiation used in the right way can actually treat cancer. And this concept is nothing new. In fact, the foundations of nuclear medicine and radiation oncology are based on the scientific research of, can you guess, Jess? Uh, uh... Is it Marie Curie? You are correct. <laughs> yeah. So doctors actually started taking radium, which was discovered by Marie Curie, and placing it on tumors. And miraculously, sometimes that tumor would shrink. This is the premise that external beam radiation therapy is based on. And that is sort of the most common type of radiation therapy used for cancer. It's also the premise of nuclear medicine. Today, science is fighting cancer not only with surgery, but with new scientific weapons, with the deep X-ray, with radium, a mineral so precious a single ounce costs $850,000. So dangerous only skilled hands can use it. You know, thankfully, today, we don't just tape a rock to your head and cross our fingers. We use some more sophisticated measurements and specific doses. So... We set Dave out to learn more about this. 
So I took a field trip to the radiation oncology department at the Cleveland Clinic in Ohio to chat with a friend of mine. So I'm Camille Barichoa, and I'm a resident physician for radiation oncology. The radiation that we use typically is um, photon-based, but other energy sources include electrons, protons, and neutrons. The photons or electrons, whatever you're choosing to use, come out of the treatment head. You activate electrons, you accelerate them through a magnet. There's a bunch of different coils that can capitalize on their physical properties and accelerate them further. We aim them at a target. They end up converting into photons, and those photons are what shoots out of the treatment head. So this whole machine just plugs straight into the wall? I mean, that's, that's where the energy comes from, from an outlet, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm just blown away that this huge machine is just plugged into the wall and is powered off the electrical grid. I don't know. I guess I just thought there'd be some giant silver glowing orb filled with plutonium that's powering this whole thing. Radiation therapy is used to treat many different types of cancer. It's basically like creating a hot spot in your body at the site of the tumor in order to destroy it. This is most commonly done by external beam radiation therapy. But there is another option for certain types of brain tumors, and it's called gamma knife. Gamma knife? I mean, how super cool does that sound? You could have just named it lightsaber. So it's a machine that houses radioactive sources within it. So as opposed to this machine where we're making radiation, the gamma knife actually has radioactive sources inside of it. And the patient can slide in and their head is immobilized in this kind of round half spherical structure that looks like an old like hair dryer that you see at those like hair salons. And that half sphere that will surround their head contains all these different sources. Because let's say your brain was the size of a football field. Let's say around the football field there's, you know, there's a giant stadium and each seat houses a radioactive source. Okay? And you choose which sources you're gonna turn on. So maybe the tumor is down, you know, by the 40-yard line or something like that. And so you want to be able to activate the areas that are closest to that part. You also don't want to blast 100% of the dose from one seat because then you're going to be giving 100% to that entire intervening area. So let's say we have these sources. We know that there's maybe 50 of the 2,000 seats that we want to use. And 50 of those seats, there sits someone with a flashlight and we're pointing at that source. And so what you can imagine is at the target over by the 40 yard line that we're aiming at is a pretty bright spot because all these people are shining their flashlights. But in the intervening space, it doesn't look that bright because everyone's flashlights, you know, kind of dim on its own. And so what that does is it allows us to maximize dose to the target of interest while minimizing collateral damage around the area. It's kind of a paradox that on the one hand, radiation can cause cancer. On the other hand, we've got ways of using radiation to treat cancer. And it's changing all the time. The ultimate goal here is to be able to give radiation just to the single cells that you want to get it to, just to the cancer cells. Maybe one day, nanotechnology will let us do that. Marie Curie was a brilliant scientist. But like most people who are passionate about something, she suffered for her work. Her journals are still so radioactive today that they're kept in a lead storage cabinet and they can only be handled with protective equipment. Ultimately, she died of leukemia from all of this radiation exposure. Marie Curie was also a woman in a time when sexism and prejudice were so pervasive. 
But she overcame this through her scientific achievements because they were just too great to ignore simply because she was a woman. She initially was not even named to receive the 1903 Nobel Prize, but Pierre advocated that she should be included. She also became the first female professor to hold chair in the Department of Physics at the University of Paris. Radiation is everywhere. It's part of being alive. Radiation, though, is kind of like sugar. It's almost in everything you eat. A little bit here and there is no big deal. But eating a ton of sugar and really high doses over a long time, well, that can make you sick, cause lots of health problems. And just like radiation, sugar is also used in medicine. Ah, but that's for another show. Teaser. I was taught that the way of progress was neither swift nor easy. This episode of This Won't Hurt A Bit was written by Jess Mason and Dave Mason and a little bit of help by Mel Herbert. Our producers are Cece Herbert, Bill Connor, sound design by Bill Connor and Josh Kurz. Music by Matt Eccles. And a special thanks to Seamus O'Hara, Dr. Camille Berriachoa, Dr. Rob Orman, Dr. Magda Boki, Dr. Stuart Swadron, and Dr. Sean Nort. Okay, wait, you hold the microphone. <laughs> I, but hold, yeah, hold it up. So we're, we have a Geiger counter and we're going to, um, we're going to walk over to the... We're walking to the high dose rate brachytherapy suite. Oh, so it is getting a little. Right? We see a big scary sign that says high radiation area. I think we're good. Yeah, we're clear. Yeah. Good thing we came today. That's freaky. Like it makes a little sound and it's like, I just walked through radiation. <laughs> no, it is kind of scary because you realize that you're being bombarded with radiation all the time. This Won't Hurt A Bit is a production of Foolyboo Incorporated. The information you hear on This Won't Hurt A Bit should not be taken as actual medical advice. If you have actual medical questions about actual medical things, you should see an actual medical practitioner. Even though we are actually doctors, we're not your actual doctor. So, be sensible and keep it real. And this... Oh, this. 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 This.